Welcome to the 100 Master Coaches series featuring Master Coaches from around the world. Let's journey together on this 100 Master Coaches series with your host, Coach Mel, MCC. Janet Harvey has trained leaders at Fortune 500 companies across six continents for nearly 25 years. She passionately serves global organizations and teams of leaders to establish a generative, resilient, and high-performance culture through a coaching approach. Janet is an ICF Global Past President, Certified Mentor Coach, and Accredited Coaching Supervisor. Audiences around the globe speak of Janet as a bold, curious, provocative, and compassionate leader. Now onto the show. Hello, hello, and welcome to the 100 Master Coaches Show. This is Coach Mal, and today we have a treat, let me tell you. <laughs> if you don't know her by now, hmm, you've been living under a rock. Oh, me, no, 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 no. Let me welcome <laughs> Janet Harvey. Oh my gosh, Master Coach. She's based in Seattle, Washington. Welcome to the show, Janet. It's a pleasure uh, to have you here. Absolutely my pleasure, Mel. I'm and I'm thrilled with what you're doing here to oh, bring you. the stories forward and to, to broaden the net that everybody in the coaching field recognizes they're part of, right? Where yeah, Indra's net is a metaphor I often use on our interconnectivity. Yeah. These kinds of sessions support that. And uh, so thank you. Appreciate you. Once again, wow, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, I've seen a lot of your work. And as we kick it off, thank you for what you've done for our industry and continue to do because I know you sit on boards at the ICF uh, currently still. You know, the, the notion of... Um, Prosperity is something that I often talk with coaches about because it's it seems elusive for many, mm. and it's not necessarily at all associated with um, traditional outer trappings of financial yeah. success yeah. and Absolutely. maybe longevity in your work. It's it, those things come as a byproduct of being at mm. home with oneself and yeah. feeling the sense of prosperity in our spirit and our soul and our heart and our being. Yeah. And, you know, we do that through connection, connection and belonging is, is how that uh, starts to emerge for a person. Right. And I think coaching is one of the very best ways to stimulate that in the world. And, it's an honor to be in this field and anything I can do to give back to it and ensure that it's thriving. Count me in. Um, you know, we're going to jump right in with the first question, Janet. Um, how did it all begin for you? Completely uh, serendipity. Wow. <laughs> and, I, and I've heard lots of people say that, but truly, I... Um, okay. I was working in financial services in San Francisco mm. and um, pretty much was the kind of officer there that when there was a project nobody else wanted, it was mine to step into. Okay. And I kind of built a reputation over time as being a pretty good change leader. Mm. And uh, shortly after the financial crisis of 1987, lovingly referred to as the crash, yeah. uh, our chairman walked into the boardroom one day and said, I've made a decision. It's time that our branch offices begin to sell. Oh. Now, what you need to know is that was, um, it couldn't have been more of an antithesis of what the company had stood for. Yeah. Uh, Charles Schwab invented discount brokerage. Uh, being able to be with customers in a way that never had a conflict of interest, that you would yeah. never underwrite securities or be asked yeah. to sell or push something that you thought wasn't right for your client. Mm. He's a big, big advocate of being a good fiduciary. Well, the room was pretty quiet for two or three minutes. And as we all caught our breath, yeah. he went on to explain that what he wanted was to transform the 6,000 people who served our customers mm. from simply being in a customer service role to, to building um, a, a really meaningful relationship and to provide uh, planning and support for people to think about 
our tagline at the time, being the custodian of their dreams. But this is really about creating partnership. Sounds a little yeah. coach-like, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. So um, I got the great joy of that project, which essentially meant that we were going to turn most people's lives completely upside down oh. from the premise of why they had taken the job to what their roles would be. Uh, about 40% of that workforce would be moved to uh, a regional city to man a call center. We were implementing mm -hmm. that at the time. And we were completely changing the customer interaction. So lots of um, emotional change, lots of skill change, lots of, um, for the folks who were in the pilot, they had to agree to continue to run the business as usual while mm. also in parallel running the pilots. Mm. Wow. So as I was sitting with my team, we're thinking, what in the world are we going to do? There, are, there isn't anything in our toolbox that knows how to do this. <laughs> and of course, we're talking early 90s. And, you know, all of us were well-trained in change management techniques and we knew how to do facilitation and we're really good internal consultants and trainers. But what I had started to see emerge in the organization development circles was this thing that they were calling coaching. ICF doesn't exist yet. You know, there isn't anything written down on paper, but there is a sense that taking a more asking rather than telling approach uh, was useful to group dynamics. So I brought a couple people in and we all got around the table and said, we have a very short timeline to do this in and a big lift for this first hundred who then would become the role models for the other 5,900. So we had a cascading effect we needed to do. Yeah. And the more that we worked on this, the more I realized that if we took the best of facilitation and we took the best of design theory and mm. we combined it with something we were calling at the time an interview guide, we might just be able to level the playing field and have more senior people like regional sales managers sitting in the room with front desk receptionists. So our first pilot was something we called welcome rep. And we essentially got everybody in the room and said, if you could completely alter the experience of the customer from the minute they walk through the front door mm -hmm. until they leave, having been satisfied that you have absolutely met them and provided value, what would you do? Mm. and you know design session after design session after design session i watched regional vice presidents and receptionists from the front desk be right with each other not in conflict but in passion uh, able to to construct the pilots and we ended up with four designs they all ran in parallel mm -hmm. mel i gotta tell you I, I could see immediately that we had created something that was a game changer. Wow. The confidence, the uh, opportunity to uh, kind of step out of the lines, color outside the lines, do something that they'd always wanted to do to make it better. Because of course, everybody thought there was something that needed to be improved about the customer experience. Yeah. And this was full permission. Yeah. And because they were so animated in their process of design and ultimately implementing, we gave them the opportunity to present to the board the findings of the first round of the pilots. Oh my gosh. You'd have thought these people had been given um, president titles. <laughs> they stood up and, and gave out and absolutely crossed the finish line. And we got the additional funding to go to implementation. We ended up um, doing the project we had uh, 18 months to do the project. We did it in 15 months. Mm. We were under budget. And the thing I'm most proud of for all of them is that we had an 85% retention goal for the workforce and we retained 96%. Wow. Of that four, 2% were already at retirement age. Yeah. And the other two just said, you know, this isn't for me. I don't want to move to a call center and I don't want to, I don't want to change the way I've worked in my career. Absolutely wonderful. And all those people were given transition support. And, yeah. you know, to me, this was the, this was the ethos of our organization. We were the custodians of our employees, not just yeah. of our customers' dreams. It was the way we operated and coaching was the perfect solution. 
And of course, that was more of a team coaching approach. I've never been known to do anything the way everybody else does. <laughs> so I did team coaching before I did one-on-one -on -one coaching. Ah. And I discovered absolutely that this was the best way to bring out the best in people. And that's what I'd done all my career. And then I started to realize, well, gosh, there's a thing out there called coaching. And uh, I stayed a few more years and finished implementation and did a few things at the organization. But as the ICF was starting to form and the Personal Coaches and Mentor Association was out there, and I, I went to my boss one day and I said, you know, I'm done. It's been great. I've been here 14 years. I feel so grateful for everything I've learned and all the opportunities. And I'm going to go try my hand at being an entrepreneur. And they gave me my blessing to do that. And um, I did some work for Schwab for another couple of years while I was an independent. I, I never looked back. That was in 96. And I've been doing leader development and coaching of individuals and teams and training and organizational consulting and building coaching programs ever since. That is fantastic. And it's so great that you made the jump, Janet. If you, if you, if you didn't, we wouldn't have experienced the, the wonderful things that you have accomplished right, with and through the ICF. So thank you for that. And I kind of, want to go back to that point when you said that you wanted to try your hand out at being an entrepreneur was that other reason behind that just wanted to know yeah the, the deeper ones right i think all of us i call them sandpaper moments <laughs> right you're you're kind of cruising along in your life uh, personally and yeah. professionally and things are just going great and then all of a sudden they start to feel like mm -mm. and that's that didn't feel so good. That's uh, that, that might not be as satisfying as I, I thought it was going to be. And, and I definitely was at a moment in my life when I said, I've done everything everybody has ever asked of me. I have the house, I have the job, I have the community, lots of friends, I travel, I've got money in the bank account, I have investments, but I am so bored and I am yeah. so not happy. Like, what is going on here? This makes no mm. sense. And mm. And it was really the first time I hit what I call a plateau. And so part of the motivation, of course, was that, you know what, I didn't really want to be, I didn't want to fit the mold. I didn't want to be inside mm. of the organization anymore. And they actually didn't really want me. Uh, come to find out after the fact, I had several colleagues who said, you're really making the right decision. And I said, mm, yeah, well, what's that about? <laughs> And they said, well, you're a renegade, you know, you're a maverick. You're always the one that does the stuff nobody else wants to do. And, and you're kind of hard to work with. And I said, uh -oh. okay, I get it. I get it. And they were right. It was true. I could, and it's true to this day. I, I see things sooner than most people do. And I'm not afraid to take the risk to go make something happen, to push the envelope a little bit, to, yeah. To, to leapfrog um, the path. And I, you know, fail. Lots of times the parachute doesn't open. It's like, oh, that didn't feel good. But you know what? I figure life gave me a whole lot of skills and capability mm. and natural innate creativity. And I'm going to use every ounce of it that I possibly can. Have I gotten better at being collaborative? You bet. Am I a better leader today than I was 30 years ago? Absolutely. How has that happened? mostly by the brick walls I've run into and the, uh, as I said, the, the absence of parachute when I landed <laughs> hard sometimes. Mm, yeah. mm. So it was definitely that moment of plateau. And I was like, nope, it's up to me to figure out how I'm going to create the life I want. And I knew it was time for me to do it on my own terms. Fantastic. And you know, um, a lot of listeners needed to hear that, right? It's in a way like um, giving ourselves the permission to do so as well, right? Yeah. Because sometimes it's hard to make that jump, that leap yeah. of faith, if I may. Now, let's stay there for just a second, because I think um, you're, you're raising an important belief system that I think a lot of people have in their professional lives. And yeah. I, I'm at a stage in my own work where I'm clear that that's a belief I want to bust up a little bit. Mm. We, we say this, it's hard. Something yeah. is hard to do. Change is hard to do. Growth is hard to do. 
And I wonder if we don't set that up as a protection mechanism of some sort. Yeah. Because what I notice is that when I shift my mindset and I choose to see something as uh, satisfying, as activating, as uh, something that kind of gets me up in the morning, like I can feel the passion yeah. being magnetic for me to take a step that even a year ago I wouldn't have taken. I wrote a book mm. this year. Who knew? I just finished recording an audiobook version of it. Wow. Oh my gosh. If you'd said that to me six months ago, I would have said you were nuts. That's not going to happen. But the reason it happened is because I was in my bliss and my team said, you know what, we're doing this conference in September. We really, you really want to have the book. I know you've always <laughs> wanted to write one. No, I didn't always want to write one, but you have so much to say, you should just do it. And ultimately I said, okay, you're right. Let me do it with joy. And that's what happened. I cleared my schedule. I took two weeks. I wrote nonstop for two weeks. The first 30,000 words were down on paper and they were off to the editor. Wow. And seriously, in two and a half months, the book was finished. Now, mind you, I've spent the last 30 years doing that body of work. <laughs> so, you know, it's not like I was inventing in that two and a half months and then writing yeah. coachingly. Yeah. I was writing what I live every day. Yeah. And it was not hard. It was not hard. Mm. And I think I have a responsibility to find the pursuits that are enlivening and passionate and the, the way in which I can bring ease and joy to my life and to another's life. And mm. I call it the, I call it reciprocal prosperity. If it's a win for me and it's a win for you and it's a win for whatever we're brought together to do. Yeah. And that person ultimately gets ignited by it and they yeah. pay it forward. I'm all in. I'm all in. And there's nothing hard about it. We find yeah. the easy path. So yeah. just want to invite your audience to, to think about the statements we make when we say something is hard, like facing the pandemic. Yeah, we can hold that as hard or we can remember we have agility and resilience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Our strengths and capability didn't go away yeah. unless we've lost a loved one. If yes, we're in grieving yeah. and we're here. How will we be with it? How will we be with ourselves and our capacity to create what we want? So true. Um, and no pun intended. We have to invite change. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that invitation comes with um, a bit of a reframe, as you just said, right? The heart and looking at the gift in it and yeah. there's going to be many many learnings many opportunities many insights to kind of tell us that we're okay and we're good amazingly possible yeah. that's exactly <laughs> but, right and first and foremost of course congratulations on the book <laughs> by change <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much uh, i i'm still pinching myself <laughs> I, I got my first set of hardbacks uh, yesterday, and so I have there them stacked go. up there, and uh, and I keep looking at them going, wow, <laughs> Who it's really in print. <laughs> Who is that person in the front? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's nice. true. Wow. It's a joy. 30 years, Janet, let me remind you. 30 years. <laughs> I'm sure there are tons and tons of stories and key insights you've Garnet over the years. So I'm just going to ask you for three of them. What are your uh, gems that you want to share with the audience mm -hmm. today? You know, I want to pick up on the theme you started with about, you know, what else was behind the reason that I became an entrepreneur? Because I think sometimes when we work in the human potential field, and it doesn't matter, consultant, trainer, mentor, yeah. counselor, coach, whatever one, trusted advisor, everybody has a different word they use. Yeah. But all of our work is about contributing to another human being to be better yeah. in whatever way that person defines what better is. Mm. But the, the preceding step is that we've done our own work. We cannot go with a client, and I'm sure you've heard this from others, we can't go with a client to the places that are their 
uh, underbelly, the things that they're that I call a little tough, tighter, tender. If we haven't been there, yes, we can't do it. Um, we can be with, we can provide support, we can make a contribution, but the mm. the deeper artful mastery uh, in our field requires that we have an equal, if not greater commitment to our own personal development. Yeah. So I, I think that um, being on a path of some variety that allows for a deep inner reflection mm. and the development of an inner observer, uh, almost like having something sitting on your shoulder that you're, you can hear without losing your full presence with the person in front of you. This is the journey over time and we never finish. There is no destination. Uh, I am always becoming. And each day as I'm becoming yet another level of who I am, uh, I notice I have something more that I can be aware of with clients. I have more courage to challenge their assumptions and their biases and their preferences and their habits. And I have more um, compassion, more empathy, more understanding for the struggle that they're sitting in and more resolve to see them beyond their situation, to see the wholeness of who they are and to hold that space for them when they cannot. Because I know that this is temporary what they're experiencing right now. And that as they restore access to the center of who they are, there will be an unlimited positive ripple effect from that. And I can hold whatever they are feeling right now until they can do it themselves. And I can do that because I've gone there. I've gone to the depths of my grief. I've gone to the depths of my resentment and anger and disappointment and frustration and realized that those were things stimulated, but they were not all of who I was. And, you know, those practices come in many forms, um, meditation and yoga, things in the body are really important. Spiritual practice of some kind, whether that's religious or not, it doesn't matter. It's the discipline of being contemplative that I find so important and partnering that with reflection, spending time after I am working in my day. I don't leave my office without taking at least five minutes to say, what did I value of today? Who made a difference in my life today? What do I want to be intentional about tomorrow that I missed out on today? And not for any particular reason of withholding it, but because we all have to make choices and sometimes we'll like the ones we have to leave behind. <laughs> At least I don't. So I look, I look intentionally about the next day. So, so those two things really having a, an ongoing practice of our own deepening of our work yeah. and a second of really paying attention to reflection on our work. Yeah. And I think, I think the other is I, I'm responsible for resourcing and refilling my heart. Mm. Nobody else is. I am. And that means I have a responsibility to pay attention when I'm a little frayed at the edges, when I've overscheduled and overmanaged and overamped myself up. <laughs> and that's the time to be in nature and to be still, to be still and allow my, uh, there's an Aboriginal story about um, taking some tourists from the west side of Australia over to the east side through the outback and they stop midway and of course, the impatience travelers all wanting to know, why have we stopped? We have to get to Sydney. Well, we're going to hang out here until our soul catches up with us. <laughs> and I think that's right. It happens all the time. Like, I can feel it when I'm, when I'm annoyed and impatient. It's like, oh, I've gotten out ahead of myself, haven't I? So it's the, the awareness to recognize time for restoration and resourcing and and making that an equivalent priority to all the other things that are our contribution in the daily life that we lead. That's so beautiful. And as I'm hearing it, Jana, it, it just seems like the simplest things mm. are somewhat the most important ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and we get so busy about things and going from an important to a next more important thing right so <laughs> and forget that actually there is the underlying simplicity um 
even humility of of being in that importance. Yes. Oh my gosh, so deep. I think that's right. You know, I I was last week. I um, this probably happens for you too, where you're thinking about someone and the phone rings and it's them, and there'd be no reason why they would call at that moment on that day. <laughs> so um, I was having one of those moments in the other direction. I, I just had a feeling that this person that I hadn't spoken to since before the holidays mm. wasn't having a very good day. I could just, okay. I just had a sense of it. And, okay. and I'd been thinking about her and I wanted her to know how much I appreciated her. And uh, there was something we were thinking about doing this year. And I knew I wasn't quite ready to do it yet, but I just, just wanted to check in. Yeah. And as it turns out, um, she just lost one of her family members to the pandemic um like two days before I called and wow. so the timing was perfect to, to have a touch point and I will tell you that that phone call probably wasn't more than five or six minutes has fed me every day since because that's what it's about connection mm -hmm. and belonging it's our it's our social imperative it's in our DNA if we don't get enough of that everything else doesn't happen it doesn't happen with the the resonance and the ease that we were talking about earlier so it is the simple things and yet they're quite profound because it is about our human to human connection mm. that makes the difference mm. you know what comes to mind is this connection that we have as coaches and this global body called the icf and of course the other global bodies as well um I know that you've been involved with the ICF for a bit. I say a bit. <laughs> <laughs> just over a bit, maybe. <laughs> um, well, in galactic terms, just a second or two. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> Would you like to just share how that began? Because I'm sure there are that even coaches wanting to listen in and, and wanted to connect as that word comes, right? With mm -hmm. the, the bigger body of work that can be done worldwide and and obviously you and i know there is just so much more that can be done right yeah. so tell us a little bit about that and how someone who's coming in fresh will be able to be a part of this connectivity yeah. well a little serendipity again <laughs> I, I actually I have no idea how Kay cannon got my name and my phone number and my email I really had no idea. I knew she was uh, a past president mm -hmm. and I knew that she'd done some committee work and I'd been following a bit. Um, but I didn't know she knew me from Adam or anything about me. And she called me one day and said, we want you to run for the board. Wow. I'm like, what board? I'm, I'm already on the chapter board. What are you talking about? <laughs> who are you? <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> she was so gracious and lovely. And she knew a lot about me. Like she told me stuff. I'm like, okay, how do you know this? <laughs> I was like, okay. So here's the inside scoop. We are all in this community together yeah. and we're being with people and they're being with us. And we tell stories about each other, don't we? Yes, oh, I had such a great time being with Mel on his podcast. It's such a cool thing he's doing. And that story gets told and told and told. And the ripple effect of that means that somebody's going to remember when they're wanting someone who's a really good interviewer. Oh, Janet told me about Mel. Let me call him. This is really how it works. Who we're being every day, every moment matters. Who we're being matters. And so Kay kind of lands this in my lap. And of course, this happens about the same time that I've just finished the purchase of the coach training company that I own now. Mm. We were in uh, a little bit of recovery mode and rebranding mode. And I said to the team like, oh my God, can I even take this on? This is nuts. Um, and they all said, well, you know, you can't say no. <laughs> need to go do this. And I had been a chapter leader in the uh, Washington state. I had participated in the chapters in California when I was still in San Francisco and I'd lived in Florida for a little while. So I had participated there as well. And, yep. and so 
Um, so I, you know, wrote my application and put it in and was um, selected to join the board. And that was in 2009. So, you know, kind of officially in the fall of 2008. Well, that was a very interesting time to be involved with the ICF because of course, mm -hmm. you know, that in the fall of 2008 was when the markets crashed again. Yeah. We had yeah. the great recession and we had no idea what it would do to coaching. We had huge initiatives on the table to up-level what we were doing with credentialing. It landed completely flat. It was an, an awful time of divisiveness and disappointment and anger, and nobody was listening. <laughs> I'm here to report. It was open for a six month comment period. No board decision had been made, but everybody was sure that that was not the truth. <laughs> so, you know, being a good change leader, I understood that we were way too far out ahead. And what's interesting is that we're now 11 years later and it has now started to surface as, you know, we really ought to do that. <laughs> so, you know, involvement in moving a volunteer organization forward, the one thing I want to say is temper your expectations. It's a slow journey. And it is also something you do because you care about the collective, not for your self-interest. Mm -hmm. This is not something that you do because your name's going to be in lights. It's irrelevant. What is valuable is how much you learn about yourself. Yeah. I, I'm a better leader for having done tons and tons and tons of hours of volunteer work. I am a better human being because I learned that there was no way I could do it by myself. I'd been pretty self-sufficient up to that point. And I knew that if we were gonna move a chapter forward or a committee forward, or in this case, the global board forward, it had to require time, time for all voices to be heard, respect of all of those voices, some way to weave a tapestry that we all felt carried the qualities and characteristics that we thought met our strategy. Flourishing and then became thriving and everything about integral to society. But it had an, a mindset of cathedral building. This decision we make today is going to ripple for some time. And the board that picks up this decision we make today won't remember us. They'll only see the decision. Yeah. So there's a, a certain selflessness that's necessary to be a volunteer leader at any level of the organization. It doesn't matter. A committee at a chapter, an event for a chapter, being on a chapter board, being a past president and mentoring the new board directors coming in, serving in a community of practice at the global level, um, being a volunteer for an Ignite initiative that's associated with the foundation ultimately deciding to apply to join the board. Get clear about what your motives are. Yeah. It's not something you do to further your career. Do it because your heart says, I wanna give back. It's a contribution to repay all that this amazing vocation provides us in our daily lives. Yeah. In that way, it will feel very enlivening. Otherwise it will feel like climbing uphill. <laughs> <laughs> And I've counseled many a board director who said, why won't they listen to me? Didn't it occur to you because you're not listening to them? <laughs> you know, that's the growth edge that it's all about. And, and it's accessible for anyone. But get clear about your motives and your intent and um, start where you start and keep going. Thank you. Wise words there. It is at the end of the day a place of service and a place of putting the community first. Wonderful. And thank you once again for your service and continuous service and leaving behind those decisions along the way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things that um, gives me great joy, I, I, have, um, I have people who find me hmm. I never really know exactly how they find me, but how people who find me and are courageous, as you were talking about um, brand new to the field, maybe just got their ACC, they're about yeah. to apply for their ACC, or um, I don't know, they saw something on YouTube that I said, and they really liked it, and they had the courage to 
connect with me on LinkedIn and I will always connect with a coach. Always, 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 I will do that. And sometimes they'll get really brave and they'll say, I have three questions. Will you meet with me and answer my three questions? And I will always say yes, as long as they'll allow me to be coach and not give advice. I said, I will coach the questions with you and support you to go find the answers that make sense for you. If on that condition, you want to meet, here's the link for scheduling a 25 minute session with me and we'll do that. Because I want practitioners to choose to walk their talk. Why would you ask advice from me? That's ridiculous. <laughs> Asking for time to be in a coaching conversation all day long. Happy to do that. So good. It reminds me of that word that you just mentioned about the brave ones. <laughs> and it kind of segues nicely to the question that I often ask is, what is perhaps your bravest moment in coaching? <laughs> Yeah, very hard to pick just one. <laughs> I think every day is bravery. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking about somebody I was working with, uh, CEO of a healthcare organization. And we've been working together for about a year. He originally engaged me to uh, plan his exit, only to discover that he really didn't want to exit. But what he was was on a plateau and kind of bored with his work. And through our work together, he was able to reignite his passion and ultimately did great things for that organization. But we hit a stride in our work when I could feel sick to my stomach walking down the hall to his office, not driving there, all was good, you know, drove into the city, got parked, gone up in the elevator, I'd get off the elevator and my stomach would start to turn. And I was like, what in the world is this? And after the third time, I said, okay, I got to come clean. Yeah. I, I don't know what this is about, but somehow I'm feeling intimidated or afraid or inadequate or something. Yeah. So I sat down at his table and we, we often met over lunch. So his assistant comes in and sets the food down and I kind of set my, my food box over to the left. I'm not ready to open it yet. And, he sits down across from me and he says, okay, spit it out. <laughs> and I said, all right, true confessions. The last three times that I have come to seeing you, the minute I've gotten off the elevator, I've felt sick to my stomach. And I've been wondering what it's all about. I don't know if I'm sensing something in you or if this is about me. Yeah. And me feeling not up to the task, or maybe our work is done. Maybe this isn't what we're to be doing. Wow. And I laid it all out on the table. And he just started laughing. I'm like, okay, well, now you're really making me feel bad. And he goes, no, no, no. I have had the same problem for wow. the last three times we've met. Wow. I've felt nervous and uncomfortable and didn't know how to broach the subject. So... As we continued to explore it, it became really clear that we were ready to take our work to another level of vulnerability. Mm. We were playing too safe. We were too on the surface. And my ability to be that open and transparent about how inadequate I was feeling was what broke it. And he was able to say the same thing. I have to go deeper. It's important that I start to explore the next layer of this mm. if I'm going to accomplish what I want to. Yeah. And I said, right on. So will we make the decision here that if either one of us starts to feel that in our field again, we'll name it a little sooner than three sessions later? <laughs> yeah. To which he did agree, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was really actually the beginning of, I'd say for the last decade, I've been really paying attention to the body. And I I've always believed contrary to what you see in the, in the writing, that thoughts create emotions, creates motion in the body. Yeah. I actually think it's exactly the opposite. Mm. I think our body is so wise yeah. and that it knows things much earlier than our brain can give words to it. Yeah. 
And actually our body is what brings the emotion forward. So my tumbling stomach went to inadequacy. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I haven't done the right thing that then went to my mind that was like a monkey mind and come up with all kinds of things, right? I'm swinging for one branch to the next going, I have no idea what any of this is. I just need to ask him. Just the right answer. Wow. It's coming clean, going deep and just letting it out. That's what I hear. Just being true to what you believe in. And with that intention of serving him better. That's so right. that's, that's beautiful. It's 2021. It's a yes. new decade and the future's right before us. What do you think the future of coaching is going to look like, feel like, be like? I think that societally, mm. uh, we don't have cracks in the pot. Uh, the clay pot has broken into pieces and it has revealed a number of um, hard truths Mm. challenging our sense of self, our sense of wholeness, our sense of equity, our sense of justice, our sense of inclusion. And these are not just words because they're in a DEIJ initiative. I'm not talking about that. I'm really talking about the deeper level of the being that says, I see you, I hear you, and I'm with you, Mm. I respect you. And we don't have that universally anywhere on the planet. It's not a unique to the United States situation, although our media manages to make it everybody's thing to see. Um, It's not unique here. Um, I've seen it in many other countries that I've traveled to. And I think the pandemic being a simultaneous experience has offered us the opportunity to look at this more deeply, to look at the root cause of the systemic uh, oppression and injustice and racism that's occurring. Why are human beings doing that? Well, if you think about phases in history, we we are repeating history. We we seem to find a renaissance of sorts and then completely destroy it and begin again. The out of balance, right? The extremes, um, a rubber band stretched too long and it breaks. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're in one of those broken rubber band moments right now. And what I know about coaching, really artful work, is that when we can be with that suffering and not collapse into believing that there is no other way to be with, we have an option to help the rebuilding process. We need to let go of trying to get back to something normal. I don't know what the heck normal is anyway, but the thing, the thing that was before is our rearview yeah. mirror. If yeah. we can keep our eye on the horizon out the front mm. windshield, we have a possibility to activate our creativity. I think the coaching paradigm is uniquely suited to this time we're in to help people stay connected to their own sense of um, belonging at home in themselves, um, tapping into their essential capability and creativity yeah. and being in relationship with other people. Coaching is part of the solution of the future. Will it look the same as it does today? No. And is the spectrum of coaching huge? Absolutely. There are many things in the more mechanical side of coaching that I think will get replaced by technology. And I think that's mm-hmm. a great thing mm-hmm. because people will begin to evolve into something much more robust and vital and passionate that is all about the relationship. And I think that's coming. And so coaches who are doing their work will be prepared to up-level and meet their clients in those places. And that's how we balance our proclivity for transactions and producing results with enjoying the experience of the company we keep. So there'll be friction moments for sure. And I think the opportunity is huge um, will it look like the business models we have today? Probably not. Are we going to see a whole other basis of exchange? Yes. Are we going to commoditization? Well, I know it looks like that, but you know what? I have more faith in the consumer. If they're not getting what they want, they yeah. stop buying. It doesn't matter what they're paying. True. So we have a responsibility as professionals yeah. to bring our voice forward to say, what do we want the future of coaching to be? What oh, do yeah. we recognize is a need beyond what's possible 
that we could put our energy toward. So I think coaches don't do a very good job of standing for what they believe in. And people will say to me, my clients never ask about my credential. I'm like, you spent thousands of dollars and hours earning it and you don't talk about it? <laughs> What's that about? I don't understand that. So I think the future is bright and it's going to take all of us to continue to advocate on behalf of this way of relating and communicating in the world. So much truth, so much hard work that's needed. As you say, it's systemically. It is there for the taking. And it's the, the allowing of space for coaches choosing to come in in those tough situations sometimes and be there collectively. We can make a difference. You bet. A couple more questions, Janet. One of the last ones is this. What will be your master wisdom? And you've given so much today. But this is for the budding coaches coming in our industry right now. What would it be? Well, the first one is to check your expectations and your goals at the door. Mm. <laughs> the, the hardest thing about coaching, learning coaching as an adult professional who's already accomplished, yeah. is letting go wow. of what you think you know. <laughs> All of it has its place. You'll get to pick that tool bag up later. Yeah. But the work now is to release it unlearn what you think you know about communicating and relating and sink into the experience of learning the craft of coaching. It cannot be done from a book. <laughs> I'm a geek. I love reading. I love research. I Same. absolutely eat it up, <laughs> but I'm a better coach because I practice, practice, practice. I I listen to my recordings. I review my transcripts. I work with a mentor coach. I work with a coaching supervisor. I am one. I hold sessions for them. I allow myself to be a good student of my work. And I know I'm never done. So this notion that I have to get my certificate in six months and I need to get my hundred hours in nine months, whatever it is, relax. You have a lifetime this is a lifelong experience of being in the world in what I would call awakening consciousness. And as you begin to see and experience the world more richly, your choices will be new. You cannot see today what the possibilities are in three months from now. You will utterly transform yourself if you will allow yourself to completely immerse in the beingness of coaching and allow your practice to be the way your technical science and practice strengthens. And have some fun for goodness sakes. <laughs> so many coaches are so serious. I love that. Oh my gosh, especially the last one. <laughs> Can't take yourself quite so seriously. Oh my goodness. I, I, I know actually that when I start taking myself seriously, when I'm like when I'm feeling adamant about something, I'm like, oh, give it a rest. I clearly am protecting something. So let me go take care of myself and come back when I can say, hmm, I can have a sense of humor now about this. <laughs> and then the last piece is community. Never be alone. Everybody says, oh, coaching is so lonely. Oh, Zoom is so lonely. No, it's not. Call up three friends, send them an email, say, meet me on Zoom. Have a conversation. Yeah. You know, I, in our classes, I say to the students, I know you get told all the time to put your mic on mute. Don't do that here. I want every mic open. If your kid comes in and your cat comes in or your dog scratches at the door, that's part of your life. Yeah. Let this be ordinary life. Be with mm -hmm. us, all of you. Nothing to posture or perform. So those would be the things. Be in community. Practice, practice, Ooh. practice. <laughs> Don't take yourself so seriously. <laughs> Have fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun. I, I like to add with that and laugh at yourself too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh gosh. This interview won't be complete without asking you this final question, Janet. And you know, as coaches, we do ask questions. What will be your question to leave behind? This is my very favorite inquiry question. And it's one I, I work with um, every quarter for some period of time in my journal practice. And it is this, what is stopping me from living fully potent in my life?
what is stopping me from living fully potent in my life. Beautiful. I'm going to take a reflection time right now. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Thank you. We've taken a lot of your time. We'd love to open up this opportunity right now for our audience to connect with you. So how are some of your best handles that you want to share <laughs> right now? So Janet.Harvey at invitechange.com. I'll get to all the other handles and channels eventually, but if you really want to talk to me, just send me an email. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. old-fashioned, and there's too many ways to be connected, but that's the yeah. best one. Janet.Harvey at invitechange.com. Wow, this has been a blast. We're taking off from the depth of my heart. I say it's been my pleasure and honor to host you, Janet. Um, and once again, I appreciate the work and your service to what we stand for today. It was the foundations that you and of course others have set in place for us to stand on and build upon. Well, certainly it was a joy, Mel, and know that others are standing on your shoulders and that's what community is all about. So thank you. Woo! This has been the 100 Master Coaches show <laughs> with Janet <laughs> and myself, Mel. I'll catch you on the next one. Bye for now. Bye for now. See you. You have been watching the 100 Master Coaches series with your host, Coach Mel, MCC. Brought to you by Catalyst Coach. www.catalystcoach.live We will be right back with our next Master Coach on the 100 Master Coaches series.